Welcome back to Jim and Pat's Glasgow West End Chat. As you know by now, my name's Jim Byrne, and the Pat in the title is Pat Byrne. And this is episode 82. In this episode, Pat chats to Stuart Ennis. Stuart began his career as a journalist and a nurse, now works as a writer, actor, lecturer, creative writing tutor, and occasionally as a photographer. His book, Blessed Assurance, published by Vagabond Voices, was listed by Bottle Imp as one of Scotland's best books of 2019. It's his first novel. So Pat sat down and chatted to Stuart. I've just been listening to it myself and it's a treat. So without further ado, let's uh, listen to Pat chatting to Stuart Ennis. Stuart Ennis has come up to see me. Hi, Stuart. Hello. Um, I've just finished reading Stuart's novel, Blessed Assurance, so we'll be chatting about that. And I want to ask Stuart a bit about himself as well. So, um, because you've done a lot of things, (laughs) apart from your writing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well... Yes, I mean, the, the first job I actually had when leaving school was as a writer, kind of. Uh, I got a job as a trainee journalist for Scottish Universal Newspapers. Right. And they used to handle all the local papers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Clarkston and Southside News and mm-hmm. the Gazette mm-hmm. in Paisley. Mm-hmm. So I was living in Bridge of Weir at the time, mm-hmm. which is where I'm from. And that was my very first job. Uh, and I was kind of thrown in. Um, but that, that was thanks to my teacher, actually. Um, and you, this wouldn't happen these days, but, but when I was 17, I was in my final year at Linwood High School, I had some brilliant teachers. I was very... Because it, it, it's not what would be regarded as a good school, right. Linwood High. But I was very fortunate in the late 70s to have some really inspiring teachers. Mm-hmm. And one of them was a modern studies teacher called Mr. McFadgen. And I used to do some work in the school magazine and he knew that I fancied being a journalist. Mm-hmm. So one day, this is probably going to be one of those moments that you have to take his name out. No, this is a good story. No, this no. is a positive story. I'm sure that's so, so I was like 17 or something. Or maybe, yeah, I think it was 17. And uh, he said to me uh, one day, so, is your mum expecting you home after school? I said, well, you know, the way that your parents do expect you home whenever you turn up at that age. So he said, I've got a friend in Glasgow who's a sub-editor of the... or an editor or assistant editor, one of those, of the Evening Times. Uh, why don't you come through and, and, and meet him? So, so he took me through uh, to Glasgow and we met this guy in the pub and he bought me a half pint of shandy. And we chatted about the stuff I had done for the uh, school magazine. And he told me all about the business of journalism and gave me a contact in the Gazette group in Paisley. And then when I left, I got this job. Uh, now, if that happened now without parental permission and all the rest of it, you know, he, uh, it would be a story in the Gazette. But that was brilliant mentoring. Mm-hmm. It was like yeah. the best of mentoring. He knew what I wanted to do and he introduced me to people. And mm-hmm. So anyway, to cut a long story short, that, that, that's what I did. But then I, I, I lasted for about, I can't remember, seven or eight months. Mm-hmm. 
But that um, must have been very enjoyable. It, well, it was and it wasn't. I mean, I, it, I did some very interesting jobs. I mean, lots of local stuff, um, hatches, matches and dispatches, all that kind of thing. Uh, a lot of local news. But even then, it, it was a world. I mean, you have to have a bit of an attitude to be a journalist. And I didn't have that. And I knew I didn't have that. I knew I was fascinated by the world, but I was fascinated the way that an actor is fascinated by the world. Mm-hmm. It wasn't my world. I thought, mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to be part of this. I don't have whatever it takes to be a journalist. And a couple of times I had to ask. There was one story about a, a woman who'd lost her husband in an accident and I had to speak to her and I thought, you need a... Yeah. A particular kind yeah. of and steel. You were very young for that. I was very young, but also you you do need something. When I've got a huge amount of respect for journalists, yeah. mm-hmm. um, but you do need a kind of steeliness yeah. that, that I didn't have mm-hmm. for that. But I enjoyed the writing, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it made me at a young age write really quickly because mm-hmm. you're given something, then you have to you know quickly type it up. You don't have much time to think no. about it. So that was fascinating. Mm-hmm. And that was all kind of, that was the end of the kind of, probably the kind of old school of journalism. And it was mm-hmm. a kind of smoky room full of <laughs> manual typewriters. And I think there was a photographer, I can't remember his name, but he was Polish and he was a friend. He had been at war with the guy who was the editor then, so in the 60s or 70s. It. And all his photographs were blurred. But they had a really good friendship because they had met in the war, so he was kept on. <laughs> so, yeah, so I did that. And then uh, after that, uh, I, I, I actually, like most of my family, I, I then trained uh, as a nurse at the yeah, REI. Yeah. yeah. I mean, my family's full of people who work in the health profession, either mm-hmm. as nurses or physios or, or, or you name it. So um, I did that at the old REI, but then I had, a, I had a, <laughs> I was actually knocked down after coming off a late shift in accident and emergency. And then I was taken right back to accident and emergency, and then I, I ended up, stopped that. And then I went into acting. I went, into, I went to drama school. Um, I had, I'd always been interested in acting at, at school. But I had some uh, wonderful... Um, teacher, uh, he was a deputy headmaster, Dave Allen was his name, and another, an art teacher called Sandy Page, and they, they were just fantastic, they kind of made school worth going to, and I got involved in uh, the school shows, as you do, uh, but not until my sixth year, actually, I hadn't been involved before that, and they told me, oh, if you don't do journalism, you should go into to acting, so... I ended up doing that and uh, I went to East 15 Acting School in London and then I worked with a chap called Philippe Gollier mm-hmm. and Gollier is a French teacher, he's very much into kind of devising theatre, physical theatre mm-hmm. and then I, with a bunch of other people from Gollier, uh, we founded a theatre company called Bench Tours uh-huh. and we were around for the best part of 20 mm-hmm. years. And doing... did you write some of the plays? Well, at that time, a, a lot of the plays um, were devised, so we used to bring in a writer or a number of writers. Uh, most often it was a, an Irish writer called Michael Duke, who, who used to work for the... Tin... He was an artistic director of the Tinderbox Theatre in Belfast. In fact, he's living back in Glasgow again. So, But we would devise work, come up... We would create work through... A long series of improvisations 
Um, so I, I, I was involved in maybe contributing text then, but I wasn't involved in, 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 in writing. But now um, Bench Tours then folded. But then they got back together again under a kind of different name called The Occasion. Um, and I have written several plays for them. Uh, recently I did one called The Monster and Mary Shelley. Sorry to that shit. That's what? Because you were saying about um, the play about the monster and Mary Shelley. Yeah, so that, that was the last play that I did that. Uh, it opened at the Tron last uh, year. Uh -huh. and that then... sounds familiar to me. Yeah, no, it was really mm -hmm. good. It was, mm -hmm. it was, it was almost um, Mary Shelley being interviewed by her creature oh, about why, why she, she wrote this play. Mm -hmm. A kind of slightly psychological play, mm -hmm. but um, lots of fun. So th th that toured last year, then it toured again this year, and I've written a few plays for them. Um, so, yeah, and, and over the over the years, I've written short stories that have been published and a lot of poetry a lot of poetry for children actually I've, I've, I've written and then you've done the creative writing tutoring that's right I, I uh, for a number of years probably eight years I think uh, maybe slightly less I can't remember now I was a creative writing lecturer or tutor at uh, HMP Shorts Shorts mm -hmm. Prison mm -hmm. Um, and, and that was wonderful and, and actually uh, probably that helped my writing more than anything because every day I was working with the, the prisoners and they were asking me questions about their work or I was talking about their work and so just the whole process about talking about other people's writing um, helped me to think about my own writing mm -hmm. in a way that I wouldn't have done. So that was good. It was very challenging, uh, really rewarding. But, you know, it, it's quite um, emotionally challenging mm -hmm. because it, it's not like... It's not like teaching creative writing anywhere else. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a maximum security prison. Mm -hmm. So the people you're teaching are in mostly, mostly doing long sentences. Uh, so I think... At the time that I was there, I had some of the same people were in my class for the whole seven years. There's something very sad about that. There is, and they're not moving on. Um, but it, it it was interesting, and the thing is, you have obviously you have like well lots of professional boundaries that you shouldn't cross. But the whole the whole thing about teaching creative writing is that it's not a cold subject like. Um, Maths. I mean, when I say a cold subject, you know, with creative writing, there isn't a value for X and Y or an answer at the end of it. So when one of the writers, one of the prisoners gives you a poem or a piece of writing or something, you have to emotionally engage with it mm -hmm. to see if it works, really. Mm -hmm. You can't just say, oh, yes, all the full stops in the right place. You use short sentences just as Hemingway ordered. <laughs> That tick. You have to respond to it. So you do have an emotional connection with these yeah. people. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, they are people. You, you, you stop, you know, thinking about... A lot of them will be a lot nicer and better than a lot of people you run into anyway. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, there's, 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 short prison is interesting because there are... You know, there are people who you meet who have come to Shorts Prison through a familiar route, and that is having 
been brought up in care uh-huh. and then graduated from care to young offenders and then alcohol and drugs will maybe a part of the equation and then they'll end up doing short term sentences for this, that and the other and end up out in Berlinia somewhere and then something will happen and they'll do one big bad crime, usually mm-hmm. a murder or something like that and then they'll end up in um... so there's a lot of very sad people mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of mental health issues a lot of mm-hmm. guys have mm-hmm. had, you know we'll put it this way, if I had um, lived their lives then I, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you oh, this is the you thing, know? yeah so it's not it's not a level playing field. <laughs> but it's a, you've had a, a wide sort of experience of things before you came out with your debut novel. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. So. I mean, it, 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 the 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 novel. Um, it, it actually it the story um, of the novel. I actually it started off life years ago as a possible play. Actually, it started off as a possible musical. <laughs> I can't quite imagine that. No, no, neither can I. Probably... Although you've got a lot of song references to songs in it. Well, 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 yes. Well, the thing is that what I planned to do, it was a very, very much stripped-down version of that story, but it was still essentially the same story about a boy who told this lie about being saved and then he tries to make amends so that that story was always there but the idea was that I was going to um, use hymn tunes uh, and I, the whole <laughs> the whole thing would be sung but I would change the words to, to hymn tunes a bit like they did in uh, in Dennis Potter in his his uh, mm-hmm. his, his uh, TV plays or Oh What A Lovely War <laughs> with the use existing tunes and then they add different words but uh, it, 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 uh, anyway, it, it didn't it didn't go any further than that. So, yeah, that, that, so that, that was the origins of the uh, of, of the novel. That's when it started. Uh, did off. it take you a long time to write it? It did. Um, it took me probably from the time when I decided I was going to write it. Um, probably about six, seven years. I mean, uh, I. Seven years, I imagine. It, it feels like that because it's so much... I, I can't believe you that you've got all this kind of... It's so... I mean, I, I was very impressed by it. Oh, right. I mean, uh, to tell the truth, it's not a book I would ever have lifted to read. Right. Just because I'm not awful mad on the voice being a youngster. Right. I'm not. It's not something right. that kind of okay. really generally appeals to me. Um, so I wouldn't have automatically right. gone for it, but um, it got quite a wee bit of hype, and because uh-huh. I, I I knew who you were, yeah, because yeah. I'd seen you hosting events yes. actually with, so I was interested from that right. point of point of view. But um, I was so glad that I read it. Oh, good. I mean, I really, um, I, I loved the ca- I loved the characters. Right. I, I mean, I, I couldn't believe the, the breadth of it, you right. know, and the. Um, I, I mean, I've read other. Um, I thought I'd re- I read some reviews of it. Uh-huh. I saw one that said that the, the kind of felt that it wasn't a happy household yes. that the boy lived in. Uh-huh. Well, I didn't feel that at all. I felt he was full, full of he had a lot of problems uh-huh. and he was an anxious wee soul, mm. um, the Joseph. But I loved the characters. I loved the granddad. It was just so, so funny. And, I, I, but what I couldn't, 
what I couldn't get over, I still can't quite go over, is how you managed the dialogue. I mean, it's got so many different, um, like, okay, you've got the dialogue of these of these people, uh-huh. but the granddad is so different. It's so yes. different that his wife keeps checking him. <laughs> she, she's not happy with his misuse, you know, of the yeah. uh, um, of of Scots. So there there's that, but then. Um, you kind of take us out of the novel because of the granddad's love of the cowboys. That's right. And then we get the cowboy oh, lingo. Yeah. So, um, I, I kind of thought, God, I mean, I, I, I thought that, and then in comes Benjamin Much, the well, preacher, yeah. and he's like, is that Doric? Well, kind of he's, he's I, I, I very carefully, when I was writing, I mean, that, that wasn't going to be in full-on Scots the way it is, but what happened was that more and more started creeping in. But I was very careful about where he came from or didn't come from, so I suggested that Much, M-U-T-C-H, is a northeast name. Northeast, yeah. But I did indicate that he's travelled, he was a fisherman, mm-hmm. so he'll have picked up stuff on the boats right. so he, mm-hmm. he's not a true northeasterner mm-hmm. there's bits from here and mm-hmm. there but it's very distinct yes. he has a very distinct oh, yeah. voice yes. and then what I thought was nice was the other characters they were remarking on oh. his voice yes that's <laughs> and right they couldn't yes. understand it oh. and it, it makes it very real you know, it, 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 I just thought it was... Um... No, I, was I was interested in, 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 in voices and stories within stories. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's another character, um, Caleb. Yeah. Who's well, a storyteller uh-huh. as well. Yeah. Well, he's... That's almost like a fantasy, uh-huh. isn't it? Yes. Well, he, he was like the guardian angel kind that's of right. person. Uh-huh. That's right. That's correct. I, I suppose... I mean, I really enjoyed writing these different voices... And I think because I come from a theatre background, mm-hmm. and as I said earlier, I come from an improvisation background where I devise work. Often what I would do when we were devising a show with Ben Stewart is I, I would get up either on my own or with another actor and we would improvise a piece of dialogue. Mm-hmm. So there was a certain amount of improvising in my own head. In fact, not even in my own head. Sometimes I would be sitting there at the either writing by hand or at the keyboard, often I write by hand first of all and, and then I'll, I'll type it up. But if you had watched me, if you had been a fly on the wall, you would see me going through all these kind of contortions as if I'm imagining and these characters talking <laughs> to one another. So, so there's a certain amount of physicality going on when, when I was writing these mm-hmm. characters. Mm-hmm. And I probably did borrow from my experience working in theatre, particularly... Mm-hmm improvising because mm-hmm. really that's what you're doing when you're coming up with these voices mm-hmm. um, you're listening to them the way that you listen to yourself doing an improvisation mm-hmm. and, and, and uh, you're just kind mm-hmm. of letting yourself well, go but, I mean it was it's like um, I just felt it was such a, a massive amount of work but it didn't feel like that it right. didn't feel Good. like um, Heavy or right. uh, it felt or, or effortless. Out. No, no, no. <laughs> it didn't feel effortless. I felt as if you put an enormous amount of work into it, but it didn't feel kind of contrived. Right. You know, right. it felt like, like I love I, I I love the the sort of language. Oh. Um, and well, that, that's I, one of the things I really uh-huh. I was trying to do more than anything is capture that kind of west of Scotland language. 
that atmosphere that was around at the time that I was growing up and is still there maybe to a lesser extent. And I wanted to capture uh-huh. that kind of voice. Yeah. That, that, I mean, that I, feel, I, I, I'm, I'm a lot older than you, and I, I felt that I don't know how you managed to capture it from, you know, that when you were growing, you know, you were growing up because some of that, I, I know, I know some of those phrases. It tickled me pink, you know, like sausages are the boys, <laughs> you know, all these things. Really, uh-huh. I, I was just. Um, and there was another one that black affronted. Oh, that's right. <laughs> and then all the, the open people would say, um, so I did, or so you did. Well, that's right. Because we... Um, and I come from a village. Uh-huh. I, I come from Ocopatrick. So you right. were very conscious of different religions yeah. and different yeah. groupings. Uh-huh. And you were very conscious of that. Uh-huh. But there was definitely that, you know, in the village feel and the knowledge, like the map of where everything yes. was yes. and where you could go and where you couldn't go and don't go near the canal was what we uh-huh. always got. Yeah. So there was all that kind of thing in it. But um, some of those um, phrases, like to say, so I did, or, you know, at the end of a sentence, or uh-huh. so I did... We we wouldn't have said that in in our family because we were a very kind sort of Irish influenced right. family, oh, okay. and I think that. But so I would have even as a young child been aware of people right. saying that, uh-huh. but I didn't know how you knew that because you seem so much younger. But it must have well, just stayed I just with remember. You. I mean, I I, I, and uh-huh. also I I I I think, I mean, it's not. An autobiographical book, in the yeah. sense that nothing really in it happened to me, mm-hmm. but the world of the book uh, I know mm-hmm. well. Oh, it is definitely. And I have a memory. Mm-hmm. And actually, mm-hmm. throughout my years in theatre, I've often found myself drawing on that for inspiration to mm-hmm. come up with characters. Mm-hmm. So I have got a good memory. Yeah, you you of, must of those, you must have, and you must times. have been taking a, an awful lot in as a youngster. Yes. You know, really. Um, no, I, I found all that. I, I just really, every time I came across something like Black Affronted, yeah. I was just, it just stirred <laughs> up. So, because you, you really don't hear people saying things like that so much no. at all now. I don't know why. Maybe it's because well, I don't stay in the village anymore. Maybe if I was still down there, I would. I don't know. I, I end up having, it's interesting, but when the book was being, when uh, Alan Cameron was editing it, for uh, Vagabond Voices before it came out. We, we did have a conversation about <laughs> that very phrase, so it is. Mm-hmm. And um, because Alan's background is different. Um, he's, I think, part of Alan was born in Bangladesh, actually, but his parents are from the Hebrides, from well, Stockholm. <laughs> uh, well, oh, yeah. So, so he said, so do you mean... Like imagine I'm talking about those biscuits. I say, oh, that's a great biscuit. So it is. Uh-huh. We, 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 he was asking me, so is there a question mark? So it is. I said, no, it's just like a kind of affirmation, like a reaffirming. Uh-huh. That's a really good uh-huh. biscuit. So uh-huh. it is. It really is. Mm-hmm. But anyways, I mean, we had this long conversation about that expression. And yeah. some people use it and some people don't. Uh-huh. But I do remember um, from, from my childhood people using that. Uh-huh. Oh, I, I, yeah, I mean, I just love coming across all those things. But, but do you know what? There were things in it that I had never, ever heard of. Oh, really? I mean, I discovered words. This one, 
Freak Milady's. Oh, yes. I'd never, ever heard of that. Right. Never. Uh-huh. And um, that was for the sort of wee knick-knack garments. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I'd never heard of that. And then another one, another phrase I'd never heard of was when the gra- I loved the granddad. I love all... Uh-huh. I mean, he was just... I, he was so full of... He was so endearing and yes. he wasn't well. And he was just an absolute joy, I thought. And But I loved when... And they loved to be birds... And then when he was talking about the blue tits stealing the milk, and he called them sly wee skellums. Oh, that's right. I had never ever heard, heard that. That's quite a kind of Burnsian word. I think um, I think it comes up in Tamushanter actually. A skellum blellum. Uh, yeah, there's lots of words. Uh-huh. I, I actually, I mean, it's some of the Scots. I, I'm not a natural Scots speaker. It's certainly not broad Scots. Not Ayrshire Scots or Lowland Scots. I mean, obviously, I, I have my, you know, the, the, I, I use a, a Scottish idiom mm-hmm. um, and I use some Scottish words. But I have written in Scots quite a lot. Um, I've, I've written various plays as Robert Burns. All right. I, I, I've, I've played Robert Burns in about four or five different plays. <laughs> the last one. So you've got that? You can draw bed. on that? Yes. Uh-huh. In bed with Robert Burns was the last one. But I had to get a woman from the audience into bed with me for each, <laughs> during each show. Um, but but yeah, so I drew on that. But but also these are words that I just knew, and and also um, yeah, f- from growing up. Like the one the, the the one that you mentioned, the grandfather says, uh, "Oh, sausages, they're the boys." Uh-huh. Now I don't know why I remembered that. But it's such an unusual expression. Uh-huh. I love that expression. Uh-huh. I remember my, like, my great-uncles saying things like that too. And so, right. You know, I, I love that expression. But I, I, what I do remember about my grandfather and my grandmother as well, actually, is that they would, they would create, take great delight in reminding you of things that happened when they were young. And I, I did draw on that because there's one little bit, again, to do with sausages... Well, the grandfather is, is is talking about surprise bags during the war. They used to call sausages surprise bags because you didn't know what was in them. <laughs> and actually, it was my mother that told me that, not not my grandfather. My mother told me that. So, yeah, I suppose that because I was writing about that world and I grew up in that kind of world as a young boy, I, I was... And also the Cold War as well, as you know, was happening still around about 68, 69. That was always in the background as well. And and that that's there in the book. So you, you've got the character as well as being terrified for his immortal soul. He's terrified mm-hmm. for the... the um, his, his, his... Yeah, he's, he, he's worried about the possibility of nuclear war. Although, you know, when you, the thing about writing about a child of that age is which is something else I was trying to uh, to write about, is that you hear grown-ups whispering about things in the background, but you don't quite know what's going on. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And you don't have much agency, you don't, you, don't, you don't have much control over what's happening. But you do hear, you can sense that the grown-ups around you are all quite anxious mm-hmm. and they're all quite worried about something. Mm-hmm. Like probably now with Brexit and whatnot, if you were an 11-year-old growing up, you would sense there's lots of things yeah. happening, but mm-hmm. you sense the anxiety of your parents, but you don't quite know what it's all about. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, no, it's 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 very very rich. The car the characters are brilliant and the. I really enjoyed them. I I, I really got to know them. And but when I first started writing it, um, Joseph was on his own. So for the, way back when I started the first draft, he didn't have any friends. And I got about 30, 40 pages into it and I thought, this is desperate. I, I can't have to yeah. write him a friend. Oh, is it, I can't... Well, Archie is a brilliant what friend. What are you, Maggie? Oh, she is, she is just, what a wee darling. I mean, <laughs> I was heartbroken. I mean, we don't want to do any reveals, but, right. um, you know, she was, and he was so, oh, what a good brother. And putting yes. his hair and everything. Uh-huh. And he, he, I mean... No, he was so exuberant and um, he's what different. you would call now. I mean, I, I, I'm very careful about not to say. I'm not, I don't mean saying too much in the interview, but I, I don't spell out exactly what's happening in their home. But you know the kind of oh, home he comes shame. from. Yeah. But he's what you would call today. He's like a young carer. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, I'll try it. I'll try it. He's that kind of character. But no, I I loved though. I loved them. And once once I introduced them into the book. And Joseph had them. Then it it, it 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 did take on a kind of Tom Sawyer Huckleberry Finn type feel. It had mm-hmm. that double act mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of of Joseph mm-hmm. as this anxious, mm-hmm. quiet little boy, mm-hmm. really worried mm-hmm. constantly about mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. And then you've got this complete devil may care so, Archie. So it was a nice balance. Yeah. Much more. And humorous. Joseph was quite happy to be led astray. Oh yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, I, you know, when when they get trapped. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking, my God, I wouldn't have gone down here a million years. <laughs> but we we all know Archie's, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and Archie's the one that will end up. He'll end up getting nicked for something, but he's the guy who gets into trouble on everybody else's behalf. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm very fond of the no, characters. No, it was they were um, the contrast and the, that that friendship. Right. They were they were really it, no, you did it so well. I mean, I felt that there was there was loads of room for the reader. You know, you weren't sort of um, thrusting everything mm. on them and spelling everything out because. Um, the other thing was about the Joseph having epilepsy. Yes. Uh-huh. I have epilepsy. Right. So, but you're not seeing... I'm sure quite a lot of people didn't even uh-huh. think that that's what that that yes. was, you know, because the way you you did it with this electric currents in the way, like when he was Before. in the cinema, just to kind of disappear uh-huh. into himself. But it was... Um, it was another aspect to him uh-huh. and another worry for uh-huh. him, you know, but you didn't, there was no discussion of it with the grandparents or, treating, no. you know, or anything. Well, it, it's interesting. I, I, I don't even think I used the epilepsy word. No, you word. didn't. Um, mm-hmm. it, it just, Joseph is one of his turns uh-huh. and he has little, he, I think he describes it when he's in the, the pictures, he's in the pictures mm-hmm. to see Tarzan. Mm-hmm. He... Um, he has he talks about this little flashing light show yeah, in the back uh-huh. of his head, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I mean the, th- the thing is that that, that people would you particularly at that time people would use euphemisms like oh they've got trouble at home uh, exactly um, mm-hmm. they wouldn't spell out and also not everything had been diagnosed mm-hmm. someone would have some kind of learning difficulty or mental health issue and it would. Just be, be what it is. They'd be a bit odd, or they'd have nerves, or yeah, or, or, or the, the number of times that my aunties had women's trouble. 
mm-hmm. which covered a huge panoply of conditions, mm-hmm. mental and physical. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it, it, it was interesting. So we, we had, you know, there were people in, uh, when I was growing up in Bridge of Weir, and um, they had, they were eccentric. Yeah, yeah. Um, now they would have been diagnosed with a particular um, condition. They, they, then they were just someone who who was, yeah, a bit odd, a bit odd. Uh-huh. So so I'm 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 glad that you you enjoyed it and you didn't because I was a, you know, I was always a bit worried about how much I should spell out. And, and name things and see exactly what's wrong with Joseph or, or no I think I think that's um, a much better way of, yeah. of doing doing things because um, you can then kind of rest on the things yourself that you're uh-huh. you know when you when you're shaping this character in yes. your head you've not got the epilepsy as a big feature no no, you know? no it's just so, something that's uh-huh. there so I think that was um, you know I mean some of it I, th- I thought was really I loved um, the other thing that um, appealed to me was the, the jumble sale. Oh yes, <laughs> because we used to love in Ocopatric, um the bit of scouts jumble sales yeah. in the scouts hall. Yeah. Some people actually would bring prams <laughs> and things, and, you know, because they wanted to get so much because yeah. they were fabulous and everybody loved them. Well, I, I think um, the other thing is because, and I, I'm not, I don't know old Ocopatric very well, but but I, I know certainly. Other villages. I mean, Kilhaw, which is the name of the fictitious village that this takes place in. Um, it could be a number of villages mm-hmm. in, in Scotland, but it's particularly that kind of village where you do have very fixed kind of social stratification. I think I actually described it at one point, where you have got up the hill, mm-hmm. where you have your eccentrics and your your, your mm-hmm. posh folk, and yeah. then you've got the kind of plateau where you've got your shops and your shopkeepers, and then you've got your schemes, etc. Mm-hmm. And then, as I think I mentioned, right down the hill where you've got, well, we call them travellers now, but then we refer to them the, as tinkers the and their tents mm-hmm. and whatnot. Um, so at these jumble sales, you would you would get the extraordinary things. You would get all your normal paraphernalia, but then you would get your <laughs> copper bedpans and your lacrosse rackets and <laughs> Indian clubs yeah, yeah. from the or a, a, a what do you call it a curling stone or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But they, those well, were exactly. definitely places no. to go. No, it was, and he he certainly. Go out of find. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, we, no, I know, no, I know exactly what you mean with the, with the village because we used to call, like where we lived, we lived in the council houses, but then up the hill, in um, lovely bungalows and big big right. houses. Now we called that the Toffs Hill. Right. Okay. We actually, it, right. that was actually how we referred uh-huh. to. It. Not you know, as children, you you, you didn't, you weren't even really thinking. What yeah. that meant, that was no. just what we called it. Hotel. You know, um, and it's interesting that posh houses are a bit like having castles or uh, forts. The posh people always live up the hill, it's safer up there. They I know, can look that's down. funny, isn't it? You can that? literally mm-hmm. look down mm-hmm. on everyone else. No, because my mum used to clean a house up there, and um, I, I sometimes went with her, and it was three, um, as they called them, like maiden ladies. Right. Who were oh, yes. um, school teachers, oh. and um, the Miss Dowds, 
and um, now one of my friends lives in that house. Mean oh, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, 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 there's one little scene in the book which a couple of people said was really quite fanciful. And a lot of other people, most people have liked it, but they thought oh, that's kind of a bit over the top. And that's when the, the Hindu twins appear, oh, these uh-huh. two old men. Yeah, uh-huh. Now, the thing is that they, they're actually based on real people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but you did find eccentrics like that in the village. Um, those were based on real people, but they were a kind of combination of real men. It is also drawing, actually, my, my dad's from India. Right. Um, and he went to school in a hill station in Missouri, near Dehradun, up in the Himachal Pradesh area. And um, so I, I was kind of drawing on that because I actually mentioned that these two old men that called themselves the Hindu or are called the Hindu twins mm-hmm. had lived in Missouri, which is where my father lived. Mm-hmm. But actually, they're a kind of combination of, of, of my dad and two old ladies who lived together in Bridge of Weir, up the hill, and they both wore, like, tweets <laughs> and they, they rode, like, adult tricycles. <laughs> um, People that don't so exist bizarre. anymore, right. no. and no. we don't know. I don't. I don't know much about them, but they may have been sisters. No. They may have been no. lady friends. No. They just were who they were. Yeah, and, the, the and Hindu, lovely um, memories of them. The the, the 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 twins. They were very nice. Uh-huh. Because when it started first, I kind of because you know they own you know they own so much they were That's wealthy. Right. You kind of thought that maybe they would have been a bit fierce or something uh-huh. or not, but they were so um, yeah. likable. Yes. You know, and I, and I thought there were lots of things like that in it where it was quite un- what you were expecting wasn't what happened. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, 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 they're actually the way that they speak. Um, I actually drew on my father because he, I mean, he he went to the school in Missouri in in as I said in India. He was born in India. My grandmother's from from India, um, so he had this very peculiar kind of Anglo-Indian accent, and he had a very very odd way of speaking. It was kind of posh. Do you know the the, the kind of uh, left wing intellectual Tariq Ali? Yes. The uh-huh, we kind of uh-huh. that kind of Aristo <laughs> Indian voice. So I remember once. I'll give you an example. Um, when I was a little boy, I was away doing the messages, right? Mm. And my friend came round to see me, and my father answered the door, and my friend said. Where's Stuart? Mm-hmm. And my father said, Stuart's just embarked on a shopping expedition. So, <laughs> so he had this kind of strange, kind of slightly Indian... People used to think he was just Welsh, as some people do when they try and do an Indian accent and they get it wrong, they end up sounding Welsh. Uh, so he had this quite slightly posh... Indian accent mm-hmm. and he, and he would say like the Hindu twins he would say ya uh-huh. he would oh, right. use the word ya a lot uh-huh. rather than yes which is quite a posh thing so there were we yeah. in the kind of very working class we were down, you know, down the hill in, in Bridge of Weir but my mm-hmm. father had, you know, in a council house but my, my father had this uh, very 
particular way of speaking. So, so I, I drew on that voice for the He was making, the, um, the, he was making the messages sound very important. Oh, very important. <laughs> uh, a shopping expedition. But that must have been great fun as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. I actually mean, you, you do not have it in the Kindle, but in the paper book, um, in the inside cover, there is oh, a that's map. that's gorgeous. So it's actually Joseph's map. Yeah. Because you know the map yeah, features. That, yeah, I love the, the, the map, and I love the colours, and I, yeah. and I loved... Um, when he drew the protective colour round oh, Caleb. Yes. I yes. thought that was... Um, uh-huh. It was just... There were some things about Joseph that were so endearing. Yeah. And I thought that was a... Um, so, so somebody asked me why I didn't... No, someone asked me if I had considered writing it in the first person from his point of view, a bit like, you know, catch on their eye or something. And I said, if I'd written it, in Joseph's voice, if he had been telling the story, it would have been a very short book because he nods most of the time. He doesn't say very much. He nodded. I think someone refers to him at one point. No, but, uh, so, no I really, I really loved. It. I loved a lot of the. I loved the. I loved the language. I loved the characters and um, you know, just the whole, that whole setting and the yeah. whole era. I thought you captured it really, really so well. I mean, I. Um, you know what, I got right into it. I was oh, enjoying, you know, looking forward to getting back to it when I wasn't reading it. So it's a nice world you, to spend time in. I, yeah. Absolutely. I thought you um, I thought you did a wonderful job with it, really. You know, and I, I read loads and loads. Right. I really, you know, I, I do, but I, it's, a, it's a memorable book. I think you've done a, a great job with it, Stuart. Mm-hmm. I really do. So, do, um, do you want to read a wee bit from I'll read it? I will. Um, I, I, this is a, I'll read a couple of pages this is the bit where Archie and wee Maggie are introduced so I might as well read, read that bit is that okay? yeah absolutely <clears throat> okay um, okay so a, a fog has, des- has descended on the village of Kilhaw and uh, Joseph has been out wandering around feeling guilty for having told this big lie about being saved. That's not really much of a reveal. That, 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 that's what happens at the beginning of the book. So this is the point where he meets um, Archie Truman and his little sister. So, chapter six, walking in the council of the ungodly. Archie Truman was two months younger than Joseph a good four inches shorter and about as far away from Joseph Kirkland's uptight rigidity and God-fearing gaucheness as you could possibly get. He was an unclean, underfed wee skelf of a boy, a dirty, shilpit elf of a boy, always dressed, come wind, come weather, in his trademark thin, greasy anorak shorts and sand shoes, all of them worn and frayed. All of him was worn and frayed. There was barely a square inch of him that wasn't scratched or bruised. His fingernails were black, his cheeks shiny from layer upon layer of grime, mixed with smeared snot from an endlessly running nose that had dried hard on his face like varnish. He looked like a wooden marionette with his andy-pandy retrous nose, his big round pale blue puppet eyes that were painted forever wide open, fixed in a state of utter astonishment, 
and thick tufts of carrot-red hair that seemed to have been drilled into his skull in oddly cut clumps. He walked towards Joseph like he walked through life, in a loose-limbed string-cut swagger, kicking the hell out of whatever lay in his path. Tin cans, stones, people. His six-year-old sister, wee Maggie, skipped along at his side. Where else would she be? She had the same blue eyes, red hair, the same turned-up button nose. But unlike her beloved big brother, wee Maggie was well-fed, well-groomed, immaculately turned out and dressed to fight the weather. Archie saw to all that, always, without fail. Look at me, he said, walking backwards until the fog had completely enveloped him. I'm the Invisible Man. And V appeared. Did you know the Invisible Man was naked? <laughs> Archie, said wee Maggie, giggling now. That's rude. So it is Joseph. He was. Bare bum. Everything. He could make his clothes and shoes and things invisible, so he had to take them off, except his specs. He had to keep them on, or else he'd end up bumping into folk. Wee Maggie was still giggling at naked and bums. So Archie had to say it again. It's just because you couldn't see his bum, even though he was naked, because his bum was invisible. Imagine that. Imagine having an invisible, naked bum. We Maggie imagined and giggled even more. So Archie wiggled his bum, trying to send her off into hysterics. I wonder if the invisible man did invisible jobbies. This was Archie's main business in life, to see his wee sister happy and laughing all the time. And this was what Joseph needed in his life. Happy-go-lucky Archie. Devil-may-care Archie. A down-to-earth, of-this-earth Archie Truman. He glanced around in case Mrs Chaddock or anyone else from the hall might see him talking to Archie Truman. Joseph Kirkland, the fake friend. <laughs> the kids would just love that, wouldn't they? The, 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 the invisible man with the um, invisible bum. That's right. <laughs> the beard bum. I know, I know. No, that's no, so good. We magish, we we pet. Yeah, no, she's lovely. So, yeah. so Stuart, um, how's the book going? It's going well. I mean, it's hard to keep tabs on it, even in terms of sales. But it, it's 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 having it's had a second print run, and now that sounds that's a good. lot grander than it is. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm not sure how many the front the fir- Although he was quite hopeful for the fir- first run, so I think he printed a few. Um, so I think it's doing well. I'm going to be doing the I Write Festival. Fabulous. Um, what date is that? 21st of March. That's good. I'll, I'll, um, um, I'm doing promotions for them, so lovely. I'll, I'll get that. Um, yeah, it's on the, a, the site. Yeah, I'll um, put it So I'm doing, I'm doing that. And then I've also been invited to appear at the Edinburgh International Book Festival, oh, which well, is that's fantastic. fantastic. Mm-hmm. And then I have just done a book event down in, down in London last weekend. Um, well, that's great. And then moved to Australia for oh my twelve God. months. Oh, that's amazing! To oh yeah, because you're doing a PhD. Is that funded? Right. Yeah, it's funded. Yes, so it's a collaboration between um, Aberdeen University and Curtin University right. in Western Australia. So it's in the creative writing department. So it's what what they call a practice based PhD. So there's like a 
a practice part and then there's an academic part. So you'll be teaching creative writing? Well, no, 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 I'm, I'm doing a PhD. So, so part of the PhD is actually writing another novel. Okay. Um, okay. So I'll be writing a novel that somehow, I'm not going to talk too much about it because I'm still in the middle of figuring out what it's about myself. But I can tell you that it will be called Ilk, I-L-K. Um, and I'm working on that. And I'm also working on a, an academic thesis as well. And it, in some ways, looking at ideas of immigration, immigration between Scotland and Australia. So it will be part That's contemporary, exciting. part historical. That's if, what an amazing opportunity. Yeah, so I fly, I go over there in the end of um, end of May for, for 12 months. I've never been to Australia. No, neither have I. I don't know... Um, I don't know what's in the West, you know, where... You um, know. It's far away. Uh, I, I, I'm going to be between Perth and Fremantle. Right. I, I, I'm, I'm living in one or the other. Um, it's about a four-hour or four-and-a-half-hour flight to Sydney. So that's how far it's away fast. it is. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I didn't realise it was so big. Yeah, well, I knew it was big, but I don't know where... I, I kind of know where Sydney is. Yes. Uh, you know, I could maybe pinpoint it in the map, but other places I'm it's not sure. Right at the mm-hmm. other side. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's quicker to fly to Bali or somewhere well, than it is to well, fly maybe you to. can go there too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it'll be oh, great. And, and it's nice to... I'm, I'm going to be doing... I probably will be doing a little bit of teaching work, but not, not a huge amount. No, when what made me think of that was when you said it was practice-based, but it's the ah, practice as a writing. Yes, practice as a, yeah, as a writing. Yeah, yes, yes, yeah. yes. Uh-huh. So no no it's it's great and 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 it's actually it's it's lovely being back at university. I mean I thought that was me. Um, for my daughter, she, she's at Aberdeen in her third year of her MA in primary education. So when I when, when I found out I was doing uh-huh. a PhD, uh, I said, well, "That's great! I can come and move in with you and your pals. Won't that be wonderful?" We'll all be students yeah. together. We can do freshers week. I keep going. I go. I will go back in a minute. Oh, I, yeah. I, I did the uh, um, the creative writing, the M Lit at Glasgow. Oh, wonderful! So I I um, I think I was sixty-eight when I graduated right. from that. But I would go and I went back. I I, I did a. In Phil in urban policy, I think I was fifty six when I did that. Right. But I would go back in a minute, but I couldn't sit any exams because I can't remember anything. <laughs> the, the, there are huge. I mean, I I I went to university, then I was out of like the academic world for a long time, and then I did an open university degree as well. And open university is one of the greatest things. Yes, yeah, it's fantastic. Happened. It's so I, I I've done that, but there, there are there's big advantages of 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 going, of particularly doing a postgrad degree, a PhD or an MA or an MPhil as a mature student, because what you particularly in something like creative writing, I think, mm-hmm. in anything, mm-hmm. particularly humanities, because you're bringing years of personal experience. I agree. You I agree. know, um, 
I, I, I loved doing the Open University because every so often we would have uh, kind of conferences with other students mm-hmm. and the fascinating bunch of people mm-hmm. in, uh, from yeah. all walks of life. Mm-hmm. But no, I, I, I would I recommend anyone uh, of yeah, any I age think to it's, I mean, I, I love Glasgow education. University as well, oh, yeah. just being there, you know, yeah. the building and Beautiful. everything was great. No, I... Um, well, Aberdeen's like that's one of the old universities, and yeah, it's, it's like it's, one beautiful yeah, university. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's that's great. That that's so good. So good. What an yeah. exciting thing to be doing. That's great. And then the the other book will come out from that. Um, I I, I hope so. Um, I'm 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 it's early stages, I'm but I'm, sure. I'm getting I'm excited about sure it. it. Pretty sure it will. Yeah. So, so do you um, know who your supervisor is for your Yes, um, my supervisor in Aberdeen is Professor Al- Alison Lumsden, mm-hmm. Ali Lumsden. I, I mean, I don't, I, I don't well, know. Well, she, she's yeah, also, I think she, her, her speciality is actually you know, 19th century romantic literature. I think she's also the president or the chairperson of the Walter Scott Society. So she's fantastic. But I also have a supervisor in Australia who I've only met once he came over, but he, he his his background is, is, is quite different. Again, he, he's what well, his background as a writer is different. He he's um he's a crime writer called David Wish Wilson. Um, but they're both fantastic. They 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 they've both got a huge uh, breadth of knowledge and experience mm-hmm. and interest. Yeah. They're kind of interested in what you're that doing. That's great. brilliant. It's a huge. I know. Privilege. Yeah, I'm well aware well, of well, that. Good for good yeah, for good yeah. for you. So when when do you go? I go at the end of May. Oh my um, God, it's almost a bonus. Well, yeah, don't tell me that. I've got to my flat and all the rest of it, all the logistics. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite nervous. I mean, twelve months is a chunk of time, so I'm 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 quite I'm quite trepidatious about it. Um, but no, it'll be good. It'll be good, and and I'm there for a purpose. I'm 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 I'm, I'm there to work as well. It'll be fantastic. It'll be it'll be fabulous. Uh-huh. And then a year goes in quickly too. Yes, that's true. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. No, so, I, I know. I know. Particularly when you're somewhere new, a low flyby, mm-hmm. you know. So it's been a great wee spell for you, hasn't it? It has. It's been really exciting. Um, yeah. In fact, one, I, I, I brought this along. This is a podcast, nobody can see it, but um, this came out. Um, it's an anthology of prison writing that I edited. And is that from from shorts? shorts. That's fabulous. Um, so that, that that's something that I carried on. Lovely, I haven't actually worked it's at shorts. It's a lovely um, cover. It is. I mean, I haven't worked at the prison now for a year. Although actually, I was back a few weeks ago doing a, a different event. But I, I finished this after I had left. I had kind of started doing this. So th- this is an anthology of work that's been created. Uh, Throughout that time, it's some amazing work actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, yes, that's, no, it's been a good year, no, yeah, that was good great. spell. So, well, listen, that it's been so good talking to you. Thanks for coming along. Thank you for and, biscuits. Um, yeah, I'll give you another wee cup before you go. <laughs> and I, I'd love to see the um, the prison book. Yeah, um, well, I'll leave, yeah, I'll leave yeah. it with you. That's the end of another episode of Driven Pat's Glasgow West End Chat. Hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. 
I'll just mention that the sound may have been slightly different from the past because we got ourselves a new tiny wee microphone that just fits directly onto Pat's phone because we'd been previously getting some crackles and things on the recording. So I hope that was okay for you and we'll catch you the next time. Bye for now.